Good morning, junior girls. All right, I am super excited to be back with you guys today. And as you can see, I love tie-dye day. So you should all go tie-dye a shirt today. Now, fun fact about me, I am the world's worst artist. Like, I am terrible. I tell my fifth graders that at the beginning of every year, and they're so sweet and kind, and they're like, no, Miss Ryan, you can't be that bad. And then they see my stick figures, and they're like, oh yeah, you're actually really bad. So if I can successfully tie-dye a shirt, even if you think you're horrible at those type of things, you can tie-dye a shirt. So, you should go tie-dye a shirt today. All right, I want you guys to all turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And before we actually get started this morning, we are going to do a little bit of review. So, I'm going to have all of us review together. Yesterday we had an anchor point, and that anchor point affected everything else that we talked about. It set the stage for it. So let's read the anchor point from yesterday together. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is imperative. That was kind of sad. It sounded like... Let's try it a little bit louder, a little bit stronger. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is imperative. Awesome. Now our big idea number one, let's read it. Salvation makes us a new creation. So once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we shouldn't stay the same. We should change to become more like Christ. Big idea number two, let's read it. God's love controls us. And big idea number three, all Christians are ambassadors for Christ. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about when we have our identity in Christ that should affect how we see ourselves in light of who God has made us. So as you already know and observe, I am very short. And I have never liked being short. In fact, my mom and my grandma and I are the only short people in our family. Everybody else is at least six foot tall. My grandpa, my grandma, on my other side, all my cousins, they're very tall. My mom and grandma and I are very short. And I have never liked being short because you get teased a lot, okay? So even so much to when I was on full staff, full-time staff here at IRBC in the summers, there was a group of full-time boys who all in good love, they asked for permission to do this. They said, Miss Ryan, Elisa, every day we're going to come up with a new short joke that you haven't heard before. And every day it was a new short joke. Some of them I did hear before, but a lot of them they were very original with. So I was teased all the time for being short. Translate that into being a teacher. And most of my students are taller than me. It's just a fact of life. And they're very proud of that fact. Hey, Miss Ryan, I'm taller than you. Yes, yes, thank you, I know. Also, when we would go on field trips together, there's only been one field trip that I went on with my kids where I did not get in trouble for being a student where the adults were supposed to be. So then I held out my teacher badge, and actually, I'm the teacher in charge of all these kids. Oh, we're so sorry. I'm like, mm-hmm. So I never really liked being short. How many of you guys have something that you don't like how you look or how God has made you? Raise your hand. It's okay. Yeah, probably most of us. There's probably that one or two things that you're like, eh, I really don't like how my nose looks. Or I don't like the color of eyes that I have. We all have those things. And that's a natural thing. But we're going to talk about today how we can change that attitude into being content with who God made us. 
Another thing that I did not like about myself growing up is I was a very odd child. I just was. And you're going to see a picture in just a second that you're going to be like, oh, that's a weird picture. So like, bear with me, it's kind of embarrassing, but it serves a good illustration. So when I was little, and I mean like your age, like six, seven, eight, even nine and 10 years old, I really, really wanted glasses, like really wanted glasses. Now I know all of you out there who have glasses, you're like, no, be thankful you don't have glasses. But I really wanted glasses. I thought they made people look pretty. Both of my parents had glasses. I thought I needed glasses. So when I was 10 years old, I went to the doctor for my annual physical. And I was like, hmm, I'm going to figure out how I can work the system so I can get glasses. So at my doctor, they did a little eye exam with you when you were there. It wasn't anything big or fancy, like if you went to an actual eye doctor. But they just had you look through this thing and see, OK, can you see all the numbers, whatever. So I was like, brilliant idea. I am going to lie on this eye exam so I can get glasses. So they're going through, and I'm making up whatever answer I want, changing numbers, changing letters. Well, the problem was is that I flunked the wrong test. I lied on the wrong test. I flunked the colorblindness test. And my mom is a nurse, so she's a very smart woman. The nurse comes back into the room after I flunked this colorblindness test, which, girls, if you don't know, it's very rare for a girl to be colorblind. It can happen, but it's very rare. Usually it's a guy thing. So the nurse comes in and she's like, um, Lori, that's my mom's name, we're kind of confused because apparently your daughter's colorblind. Like she failed all of the colorblindness test. And I will never forget the look on my mom's face. She didn't say anything. She just turned to me and gave me that mom look and I knew I was in big trouble. And she very calmly looked at the nurse and was like, my daughter's not colorblind. I bet she lied on that test. And I just slunk down in my chair. So I was like, well, strike one. There goes not getting glasses. I still don't have glasses to this day. The other thing I really wanted at that same age time, call me weird, I know, but I really wanted braces. I thought it made people's teeth sparkle. I thought it looked really cool. I was jealous of my friends who got to go pick out the color of elastic bands they wanted. I really wanted braces. And I was really big into band when I was in high school, and I played the flute. And it was the summer before my freshman year of high school. And my parents were like, you know what? You're trying out for Allstate. If you get actual braces, that's going to really mess with you playing the flute. True story. So they're like, we're not going to get you actual braces. We're going to get you those Invisalign braces that are clear that you can take out so that way it won't mess with your flute playing. And I'm like, well, that makes sense, but then I don't get the cool sparkles on my teeth. I am 16 years old and thinking of this, okay? And they're like so confused. Like, why does our daughter want braces? So anyway, so I get my Invisalign braces. Two years down the road, the dentist and orthodontist are like, you know, you have this like group of two or three teeth that are not changing how we want them to change. So we're going to have to resort to actual braces. And I was like, yes, that's what I've always wanted. Well, this picture is an awful picture. But if you can see, I only got braces on half of my bottom teeth. And it stopped right in the middle. Like, worst case scenario. 
So I got my braces, but I got the most dorky look of braces possible. <laughs> and so that was my Christmas present one year. The day after Christmas, pretty much it felt like in my mind, got to go to the orthodontist, got to have braces on half of my bottom teeth, and I have never wanted braces since. So those were some silly examples of how I didn't like how I was made. I wanted something different. I wanted to look different. I wanted to fit in with my friends. I wasn't being content with who God made me to be. So our key question that we had yesterday was, what brand are you writing for in life? We have a choice. Are we going to follow Christ and pursue him and what he wants us to do with our lives? Or are we going to follow the world? We're going to follow ourselves, do what makes us happy. Our anchor point to, for today is our value and identity is rooted in being intentionally created in God's image. Now, I told you yesterday that when I teach fifth grade, I am an English and reading teacher. So we're going to learn some big words today. And the first one is intentionally. You might say, okay, what does it mean to be intentionally created in God's image? Intentionally means deliberately or on purpose. So every single one of you, every single staff member here, every single counselor, every single person in the whole world, which is a lot of people, they are deliberately, they are purposefully, they are intentionally created in God's image. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Being created in God's image provides beauty and purpose to every single life. Some of you may come in today and you might be like, I don't know my purpose in life. I don't feel like anybody loves me. I don't feel like anybody appreciates me for who God made me to be. Why am I here? But because God created you, your life has beauty. It has purpose. It should shape how you view yourself. I'm going to actually have us read in Psalm 139 first, and then we're going to come back and read Genesis 1. Psalm 139, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to skip over to verse 13. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. For you formed my inward parts. Verse 13. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So that's going to be the main passage we talk out of this morning. But before we get there, I want us to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28, and verse 31, because this passage sets the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about today. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want to pause right there. That word for God that is used there is Elohim. And it's actually a plural Hebrew word, so more than one thing. 
This is the first reference in the Bible to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead work together to form creation, to create us. That just shows how much love and care God used when he was creating us. Let's keep going. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves over the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I'm just going to go back a couple slides here. We see from verse 27 that we're different than the animals. When God created us, he created us uniquely. He created us special. We're supposed to have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, over every other animal. That shows that we're unique. We're special. He doesn't view us the same way as he views the animals. In today's culture, there are some groups of people that try to elevate the animals and say, you know, they are the same thing as humans. We should treat them the same way. And yes, we're supposed to be good stewards of God's creation. We should treat them well, but we shouldn't treat them the same as we treat humans because they're not made in God's image. We are. We reflect God and who he is. The animals don't do that. When we keep going, it says God created him male and female. Sandy and I have both mentioned this a little bit in passing in our last couple sessions, but God has created you to be a girl. And that's part of being content in who God's made you to be. The world might tell you, oh, you can be whatever you want to be. You don't want to be a girl? That's fine. You can become whoever you want to be. You don't want to be a boy? That's fine. You can become whoever you want to be. But that's not how God created it from the beginning. That's not how he designed it. He created male and female. And God blessed that. In our last verse in this passage, verse 31, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The way God created you, just how you are, it's very good. Some of you, when you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, ugh. But even that, your sleepy face, maybe with no makeup, with crusties in your eyes, that's very good because that's how God created you to be. And not only is it very good, but we should be thankful for that. So we are going to get to our first big idea from our main passage in Psalm 139, that God purposely created every single part of you. God purposely created every single part of you. Let's go back and read verses 13 through 16 of Psalm 139 says, for you formed my inward parts. I'm going to stop right there. That Hebrew word, inward parts, at its root, it literally means your kidneys. So God created your kidneys. That's kind of a part of the body you don't see, you don't really think of, but it's very, very important. God created your kidneys. He created your heart. He created your lungs, your toes, your fingers, your hair. Every single part of you, down to the smallest cell, he created it purposefully. Let's keep reading. For you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Some of you may be like, what does purposefully mean? Okay, God created us. Yes, I get it. But God didn't just create us. He purposefully created us. Purposefully means something that's intentionally done. There's a reason for it. It's not just willy-nilly, haphazard, throw something together like the contenders were just splashing paint on the general store. It was done with purpose, with intention, every single part. God created that. So, before you were even born, God purposely created every single part of your physical body. We see that in verses 13. We see it in verse 15. It says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So when moms are expecting a baby, God is creating that little baby inside of them. We don't see that process necessarily happening from the outside, all the little fingers and toes forming, all the fingerprints forming, but God is in it. He purposely created every single part of you. He knew you before you were even born. And when you stop and think about it, that blows my mind. I hope it blows your mind. But God knew who you were before you even breathed your first breath. So your body, the body that God created you to be, it is intricately knitted and woven together. I want to spend a little time on these two verses. We have another big word there, intricately. It means in a very complicated or detailed manner. It's not something that's easy. It's very complicated and detailed. This year at school, my fifth graders loved puzzles. Bless their hearts, I cannot stand puzzles to save my life, but they loved puzzles. And one of my girls, she brought in a 1,000-piece puzzle. And they finished it. I was so impressed. But they had to be intricate with how they did that puzzle. They had to make sure they went through this whole process. They separated all the colors, and they separated all the edge pieces, and they were very detailed in how they did it. That's just a small picture of how God created us. He intricately created us. He knitted us. He wove us together in a detailed way with lots of moving parts and pieces. Now, this word knitted and woven, they seem to us that they mean similar things, but they're actually two different Hebrew words. So the word for knitted is actually, I'm going to try to say this, tesaki. Okay, that's the Hebrew word tesaki, and it literally means to weave or shape, which when I was studying this out, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Knitted means to weave but it's a different Hebrew word than the word woven. I was like, huh, interesting. So it means to weave or shape us together. Now that word woven, down in verse 15, at its root, it's actually a weaver of colored cloth with lots of different colors. And I thought that was a really neat picture because are any two people exactly the same? No, we're all different. And this word woven with a weaver of colored cloth, God is our weaver. He's the one that's made us. He's the one that's formed us and shaped us. And he's made us all unique and different with all sorts of different colors, if you say so. Different color of hair, eyes, different heights, different ways our body's built. 
but God has intricately knitted and woven us together. My grandmas tried to teach me how to knit and crochet growing up, bless their hearts. I'm sure they had a lot of patience to deal with me, but if you've ever knitted or crocheted before, there's a lot of teeny tiny stitches. And if you miss one stitch, sometimes you have to take out a whole row because it's not gonna look right. It's gonna be all bunched up and look funky. That's the picture God gives us of he's knitting us. He's weaving us together with a bunch of different colors to make us beautiful how he wants us to look. So not only is our body intricately knitted and woven together, it's fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, how many of you guys are afraid of something? Lots of us, even adults, right? That's usually what we think of when we think of the word fearful. That's not the same meaning here, okay? So this fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully are actually the same Hebrew word. And it means awesome or remarkably. So God is using the same word twice, probably for added emphasis. We don't know exactly why he had the authors use the same word twice, but probably to get a point across, to say, hey, I made you in an awesome way. I made you in a wonderful way. I made you in a remarkable way. And oftentimes I think we fail to realize that. We're like, oh yeah, I'm alive. Like, God made me who I am. But no, God made us in an awesome way. And we should be thankful for that. Your body is also lovingly known by God. Let's read verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So going back to what we said near the beginning, when your mom was expecting you in her tummy, God already knew you. When you were being formed, God knew every part of you, and he loves you, and he loves how he created you to be. Sometimes you may feel like, oh, I don't think I'm really seen. Does anybody love me? Does anybody care about me? God does because he's your creator, and he's intricately, purposely, fearfully, and wonderfully made you, and he loves you, and he knows you. He also created your body to be very good. We've already talked about that in Genesis 131. Even with all your freckles, even with counselors, maybe your wrinkles or your gray hairs, God has created you to be very good, and he said that. I was reminded of the story of Amy Carmichael. Some of you may know this story. But from a very young age, she did not like the fact that she had brown eyes. She hated it. And one place I was reading said that every single day, she prayed that God would take away her brown eyes and give her blue eyes. Which for me, that was a good reminder of she had a lot of faith as a little girl. She knew that God, if he wanted to, could change her brown eyes to blue eyes. That's not something that we would think is physically possible. But Amy, as a little girl, she had enough faith that she knew God could do it. And so she prayed that way every day. Now, it doesn't necessarily excuse the fact that she wasn't content with how God made her, but she did have that faith. So every single day she prayed, God, take away my brown eyes and give me blue eyes because I think blue eyes are beautiful. And we find out later on in life, there was a very specific reason why God gave her brown eyes. She eventually was a missionary in India, and because of the work she did over there, she had to look like an Indian woman. And her brown eyes helped her blend in to the culture, so she was able to do her work more effectively. 
So that's just a really practical example of, you know, somebody did not like how they were created, how God made them to be. But it was very good. It was perfect. It was just how God wanted it to be so that she could accomplish what God wanted her to do. Just as a refresher, Genesis 131 said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So growing up, when I was like, I don't like being short, everybody teases me for being short. My mom was faithful to remind me, you know what? That's exactly how God wanted you to be. He wanted you to be short. He calls it very good. It's very good that you're short. And in the moment, I didn't want to hear it. I was like, yeah, thanks, Mom. You're just trying to make me feel better, but it doesn't change anything. But she was pointing me to truth. God had said it was very good, and so I needed to learn to be content in that. So our second big idea is God intentionally knows every single part of you. Not only has he created you, not only has he created your body to be perfect, but he intentionally knows every single part of you. Here's another big word that we come into here, intentionally, that kind of has the same idea as purposefully, with intention. It's planned out. There's a reason why he did that carefully. God carefully, purposefully, intentionally knows every single part of you. Let's back up and read verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. There is no aspect of your life that God views as unimportant. None. Every single part of your life, how you're made, what you do, who you are, your personality, your character, God views as important. No part of it is unimportant. God knows when we sit down and get up. Verse 2 says that. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. That's crazy, right? He knows every single time you sit down in a chair, you get up. You move five feet across the room, sit down in a chair, and get up. I think about in my classroom, I had 22 kids in my classroom, and all of them would get up and down all the time. But God knew exactly how many times every single person got up and down. Right now, there is around 7.8 billion people in the world. That's the latest numbers that I could find. So our God is so powerful that he knows how many times a day those 7.8 billion people are getting up and sitting back down. Isn't that crazy? Like sometimes we forget to sit in awe of who God is and how awesome he is in those little details. Sometimes maybe you get home from school and you're like, man, I just wish somebody would care about me. I wish somebody would see me for who I am or they see that I'm having a rough day. But God does that. You know, we would view that as insignificant, like, oh, I don't care if I get up and down 40 times a day or 60 times a day. What difference does it make? But God knows that. He keeps track of that. God also knows what we think. That's at the second part of verse 2. It says, you discern my thoughts from afar. That should be both encouraging to us 
And that should be a little bit sombering to us. It should be encouraging to us because sometimes those things that we're struggling with, we may not tell other people about. We might just keep them to ourselves in our head. But God knows what we think. He already sees that. He already understands that. He already knows that. And that should be a comfort and an encouragement to us. However, on the opposite side, that also means he knows all the sinful thoughts we think. Before we even speak them out loud, maybe we don't even speak them out loud. But God knows those as well. And so that should be good accountability for us to make sure, okay, are my thoughts pure? Are they thoughts that glorify God? Are they thoughts that are helpful for me? Or do I need to confess those and ask Christ to forgive me for those thoughts? Because he already knows them. So he knows when we sit down and when we get up. He knows what we think. He also knows where we go. Verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted. Acquainted means he knows, he's familiar with all my ways. Like I said earlier, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. And God knows where every single one of them go and come and leave and go back and forth every single day. We can never get away from his presence. He also knows what we say. In verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So even before we get those words out of our mouth, God already knows what we're going to say. He knows our thoughts. He knows what comes out of our mouth. And so that should be an encouragement to us. Okay, are the words that are going to come out, are they helpful or are they hurtful? Are they glorifying to God or are they bringing glory to myself? He also knows how many hairs we have on our head. Let's read Matthew 10.30. It says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I have really long hair, and because I have really long hair, I shed a lot. You can see piles of blonde hair sometimes on the floor after I brush my hair. When I go home and visit my parents, they're like, oh, we clearly know Elisa was here because there was blonde hair on the floor that was not there before. But 7.8 billion people in the world, and we all brush our hair, or we should brush our hair every day. Hopefully by fifth grade and sixth grade, you should brush your hair. If you don't, please brush your hair. Um, but we all brush our hair every day, and God knows after you brush your hair, oh, you had this many amount of hairs on your head before, but now you're down to this many hairs on your head. That's crazy. Like, it would take us an eternity. Maybe we wouldn't even be able to count how many hairs are on our head. But God knows that, and he cares enough about us that he cares about that detail. So big idea number three. Because we are purposely created, like we talked about first, and intentionally known as ambassadors of Christ, so if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we should live to glorify Christ with our bodies. I'll give you a second to write that down because it's a little bit long. Because we are purposely created and intentionally known, as ambassadors of Christ, we should live to glorify Christ with our bodies. And for this point, I'm actually going to have us read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. 
So glorify God in your body. I think it's very interesting how they use the picture of the temple here. Because in the Old Testament, the temple was where God's glory dwelt. It started out in the tabernacle, then Solomon built the temple, but that's where God's glory dwelt. That's where the priests would go offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. God compares that picture in the Old Testament with our bodies today. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior and asked him to rule and reign your heart and your life, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And because he lives inside of you, our bodies are then the temple. We are the place where God dwells. And so because of that, that should affect how we treat our bodies, how we take care of it. The very last part of the verse says, so glorify God in your body. I've been around fourth, fifth, sixth graders enough to know that some of them do not like to brush their teeth. Some of them do not like to brush their hair. Some of them are like wearing deodorant. Why would I wear deodorant? And those seem like really silly examples. But you know what? That's a way we can glorify God in our body. Because we're taking care of it. We're being good stewards of it and taking care of it so we can more effectively serve Christ. So very practically, we glorify Christ with our bodies by being content with how God has made us. I've shared with you my struggles of being short. I've shared with you my very silly struggles of wanting braces and glasses. I wasn't being content. I wasn't being thankful. I wasn't being happy. I wasn't resting in how God had made me to be. And you know what? When I was grumbling and complaining about being short, did that affect anybody else? Maybe my parents a little bit because they had to put up with me complaining, but otherwise it only affected me. It only made me miserable. So when you're grumbling and complaining, of, I really don't like my hair color, or I really wish that my hair was curly instead of straight, it only makes you miserable because you're complaining against how God has made you to be. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, not just the good situations, but the hard situations, the bad situations, the situations where you're like, man, I wish I could change this because I don't like it. And when you say, I don't like it, you're putting the focus back on yourself. It's all about you. So really it comes down to a pride issue because you think you know more than God. You're saying to God, I don't like how you made me, and I think I know better that you should have made me this way. Philippians was written by Paul. He had a lot of tough stuff in life. He was kicked out of cities. He was shipwrecked. He was put in jail. He was tried to, attempted to be killed multiple times by people who didn't like him. And he could have had a really rotten attitude about it. But no, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. We also glorify Christ with our bodies by being thankful for how God has made us. So when we are content, when we are happy, when we are um, pleased with how God has made us and resting in that fact, that should bleed over into being thankful. So not only just being like, well, I guess it's okay that God made me short, but taking that one step further and saying, hey, God, thank you for making me short. And for some of us, that's a little hard to say. Because we're like, I still don't really get why God made me short. 
but we should be thankful for how God has made us. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Like the previous verse, not just the circumstances you like that are good, that are easy, all circumstances. So it's God's will for you that you have the eye color that you have. It's God's will for you that he made you a girl. It's God's will for you that he made me short. And so because of that, I need to be thankful for that and say, hey, God, thank you for making me the way that you did. The last one, we glorify Christ with our bodies by taking care of our bodies. We've talked about that a little bit. That can look different for different people. Maybe it's exercising, not to the point of like tearing your body apart, but exercising so you can stay fit and in shape. Maybe it's not eating five grasshoppers a day at the coffee shop. I worked in the coffee shop yesterday afternoon. I was like, oh my goodness, all the sugar that is going out. Maybe it's like we talked about earlier, brushing your hair, brushing your teeth, putting on clothes that don't like you just went and rolled in a pig pen. Taking care of your bodies, it can look different for different people. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are, you're, you are not your own, so you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. By taking care of your body, you're glorifying God. You're saying, hey God, thank you for making me this way, and now it's my turn to make you look good, like we talked about yesterday. Counselors, I just want to talk to you specifically for a second. I think this starts with us. Um, Titus 2 says that the older women are supposed to be an example to the younger women. And when I'm talking with my friends, when I'm talking with the moms at my school or the moms at my church, whenever we talk about our physical bodies, oftentimes I hear grumbling and complaining. Oh, if I was just 10 pounds lighter. Or, oh man, these gray hairs are coming back and I don't like them, I need to go dye my hair. I'm not saying it's wrong to dye your hair, okay? But I am saying we need to think about the example that we're setting to our younger kids, to our younger girls. Many of you are moms, grandmas, youth group leaders, teachers. Whatever role God has placed you in life, it starts with you. Because if our girls see us grumbling and complaining about how God has made us to be, they're not going to know any different. And I was kind of thinking about, okay, why is that? Why are we so comfortable grumbling and complaining? Oh man, I don't like this. I'm not going to go out in public without my makeup on, whatever. And I think maybe it's a like kickback against being prideful. We have been taught in our circles, okay, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to be prideful in how you look. You don't want to be vain. And I think maybe to swing the other direction, we've gone to grumbling and complaining. I don't know the last time that I've heard somebody say, you know what, I really like how God made my blonde hair. We just don't talk like that, and we want to be careful that we don't talk like that so we're not prideful. But if we're doing it with our attitude of thankfulness, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Hey, I'm really thankful that God gave me blue eyes. Or going up to somebody and saying, hey, you know what, your smile is beautiful. We don't often give each other those kind of compliments. and our conversations that we have, we don't normally talk like that. So I would encourage you counselors, really think about the example that you can set for the girls in your cabin this week, for the girls back at your home, in your churches, in your workplaces, wherever God has placed you, it starts with us. We need to be the examples and we need to be the models for the younger girls. Because if they see us, 
being discontent with who God made us to be, they're going to walk right down that road with us. And in my experience as a teacher, I've taught for five years now, that is the number one struggle I see with girls. They do not like how God has made them. And oftentimes that is being modeled to them by their moms. And my mom doesn't like this, and so I don't like this. So I would just really encourage you to think and pray through how you can be the example to your girls. I'm going to end with a quote from a pastor in the Des Moines area. He gave me permission to use this. Um, But he had a whole series that his church went through on issues similar to this. And so I saw this quote, and I asked him, hey, I'm speaking at camp. This would tie in perfectly with what we're talking about. Can I use it? And he said, absolutely. But he said, who I am is not determined by me, but it is determined by God. It is good. It's the way God wants it to be, and it's good for me. And how I handle who I am should be according to God's design and word. It's from Pastor Danny Capon at Anchor Baptist. And I thought that was such a good way of putting it. We don't determine who we are. We don't get to determine how God made us. He already determined that. He took that decision off our plate. And however he made us, it is good, and that's how God wants it to be. And if we kick against that, and if we grumble and complain, we're just making ourselves miserable. We're not making God look good. And how we handle that should be according to God's design and his word. It's not wrong to go dye your hair. It's not wrong to go get your nails done. It's not excuse me, wrong to dress up to look nice. But we need to have an attitude of contentment, an attitude of thankfulness for saying, hey, I am a girl. This is how God created me to be. And I can rejoice in that and be thankful in that. So to close it all up, our anchor point was our value and identity is rooted in being intentionally created in God's image. God purposely created every single part of you He intentionally knows every single part of you. And because we are purposely created and intentionally known, as ambassadors of Christ, we should live to glorify Christ with our bodies. So to wrap it all up, I would ask you, what brand are you writing for in life? Or a key question. Are you going to try to glorify Christ and who God's created you to be? Or are you going to try to glorify yourself and grumble and complain about I don't like who God's made me to be, and so I'm going to kick against that. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning that we had to spend in your word together. God, this is a tough issue, and it is a real issue that so many of us struggle with, myself included. And it's a struggle that never really goes away um, because Satan likes to tempt us to think that you didn't know what you were doing when you created us. But you do. And you love each of us. You intentionally know us. You have created us exactly how you want us to be. And in your eyes, it is very good. And I pray that we would rest in that. I pray that we would be thankful for who you've created us to be. I pray for us as older women, counselors, moms, grandmas, that we would be the example to the younger ladies, that we would rejoice in how you've made us, that we would be thankful for that and that we wouldn't just have an attitude of complaining and discontentment, God. I thank you for this day. I pray that we would honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.